Hey everyone, you're listening to God's Whole Story, a podcast from Worship Center. We know just how hard it is to get into God's Word every single day, so we decided to read through the Bible chronologically and talk about it together. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, welcome to God's Whole Story. Today we are continuing to walk through Exodus, and sadly, it is just me and Chelsea today. We had no <laughs> awesome friends with us today. I was not. I didn't know you were going to open up that How's way. How's that for a promo? Like, <laughs> sorry, guys, just us. Uh, but there is some pretty interesting topics uh, in what we read today. Yeah. Uh, we're starting in Exodus 4. Uh, and I think, I think to me there's a couple things that I could touch on here. But I think the first thing would be if you read over this quickly and you just think about how much you like the story of Moses, <laughs> you actually miss a lot. Yeah. Um, so it's just like a, like a little bit of a precaution, like – Actually, think about what you're reading sometimes. Think about what you're hearing sometimes. Take a minute and actually, you know, process the things, even if you've heard them before. And do some research, too. Yeah, research <laughs> because, doesn't help. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt because, I mean, there's some things in here that's like, well, that's weird. And then you can keep reading. But actually looking into it and seeing why it was said is super important to understand and the Bible. Actually, if you're just reading to, like, blitz it out, there's a chance you won't even notice that it's weird. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, I've definitely read this passage before. I'm like, cool. <laughs> I guess this is right before the plague start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there's a lot going on. So uh, my first thing that I'd love to point out, which is extra credit because I already pointed out one thing. Um, <laughs> it's easy to think, and I think that church has done this in the past. It's very easy to think like, well, God called Moses in that bush, that burning bush, and he was stirred and he went to Egypt and he was God's representative in Egypt. Uh, the fact is, it's not actually true. There's a lot of time in between. A lot of excuses in between. There's a lot in between. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's about 40 years, uh, you know, give or take. Um, and I, I just want to actually recognize that, like, a lot of times we don't actually spend time noticing how long people were needed to prepare for the ministry that God had for them. So it's, it's easy to get caught up in the story and be, like, very excited that Moses was called and he went. Um, but we miss the fact that he actually spent 40 years, I think, being grown, developed. Yeah. And like, in a not so important role. <laughs> that's very kind. <laughs> a pretty forgettable role. I mean, he was a shepherd for yeah. 40 years for his father in law. Yep. Like, <laughs> he wasn't out there, you know, preaching sermons and rescuing people out of slavery. He was herding sheep. So I could actually end there. But you're going to get a lot of bonus content today. So the first takeaway is sometimes it takes a lot of time to be prepared for God's mission. And uh, don't be afraid to take that time. And sometimes God's mission right here, right now, looks pretty ordinary. Pretty boring. <laughs> it's like, and we actually this past Sunday, we, um, hold on. Was it this past Sunday or our future Sunday? I get confused because I read Matt's notes. <laughs> but he talked about being prepared in the hidden place. I think it was this past Sunday. But he talked about being prepared in the hidden place, that like the hidden place of reading God's word and being faithful is just as important as the not-so-hidden place of what's happening in public and on the outside. Um, but I think that's really applicable to what happened to Moses. I mean, the hidden place was him um, doing his thing, being a shepherd for 40 years. He was 80 years old. I always want to think the hidden place is like, okay, I'll go to the hidden place from 7 to 7.30, and then I'll do what God told me to do. (laughs) So sometimes it's a hidden place and it's a long time. (laughs) If only the hidden place only lasted half an hour. (laughs) Maybe even 15 minutes. All right. So then the next thing is I think – man, we we have two choices here. Uh, We could talk about Pharaoh first or we could talk about this bridegroom of blood situation. (laughs) Let's go with bridegroom of blood. It's very weird. <laughs> Which is a great band name. So Bridegroom of Blood is a great band name. It's also a very weird situation that happened that I've never heard a sermon preached on, I don't think. Um, 
Okay, so here's what I've learned about it, which, hear it. which is kind of some in, inference and some, you know, you got to dig a little bit to get there. So we're talking specifically about chapter 4, verse 24 is where the thing starts. Okay, let me actually flip there so I can actually read it and not just talk <laughs> talk words out of my mouth. Here we go. Um on the way to Egypt, at a place where Moses and his family had stopped for the night, the Lord confronted him, was about to kill him. What? But Moses, his wife, Zipporah, took out a flint knight and circumcised his, his, no, her son. Now you are a bridegroom of blood to me. She said that to, she said that to Moses? There's a lot of questions. <laughs> there is a lot of questions. I mean, I'm assuming she said that to Moses, not to... Not to her son or the Lord. Read it for yourself, guys. <laughs> um, I do not have a definitive answer for this. Okay. If you dig into commentaries, a lot of those guys who are much smarter than us say, we don't have a definitive answer for this. Right. But so what I've heard or learned um, is that, so Moses was obedient in going to Egypt, but he wasn't completely obedient in circumcising his sons, which was part of Israelite Law. I mean, if you want to use that word loosely. Well, I mean, we've read Genesis. It's not just right. law. It's like the actual symbol of the covenant right. that is on the Hebrew people. So it's actually a big deal that he doesn't have it. Right. And so this this leader of the Israelite nation is actually not leading his family well. Um, but Zipporah jumps in and takes matters into her own hands. <laughs> I didn't mean to. Literally. literally I didn't mean that. <laughs> Shoot, I hate that joke. That's staying in. <laughs> um. But, I mean, so what I've read in commentaries and kind of sermons that come out of this is that, Zipporah, you need people in your life that know the Lord and are willing to, like, protect you. I mean, she she saved Moses' life. <laughs> Go this, ahead. This is another Tell me what thing. you think. This, no, it's just <laughs> another thing where if you if you take a minute and, like, imagine the scene in your head, it's insane. It's like, poor Job. His family's dead. They're right there. His house is on fire. His idiot friends are making fun of him. This is just like that. God's somehow intervening here. Um, he apparently just wants to kill Moses. That's weird. And Zipporah somehow has a knife and just grabs her son and circumcises her son. And now God's okay. That poor baby. I, I'm serious. Imagine this scenario. It's nuts. Um, it's very crazy. Yeah. So, I, I I don't know. I think it, it illustrates the um, importance of how important circumcision was. You can take this as a, as a literal thing. You can take it as a kind of a spiritualized thing. Yeah. There are people who choose to take this how either way. How does it apply to us today? Yeah. Well. <laughs> there, it's, it doesn't. Um, it just doesn't. But it, it can, I guess, illustrate some of what you were saying. Like It's very important to actually do what God has asked us to do. Yeah, and be obedient with your whole heart. And and this this would have been a pretty simple thing to hide. Um, and you know, it, it does show that Moses was not obedient. Um, it also shows that maybe Moses didn't take the, the Abrahamic covenant as seriously as a lot of other Hebrews did. Yeah. And I mean, that's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up because mm -hmm. the Lord says over and over again, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yes. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord over and over again. And so it's important that Moses gets this message in his head because, because he's going to say it over and over and over again to the people of Israel and to Pharaoh. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That was smart. It also sets up like one of those hilarious scenarios where it's like, well, the pastor's sons, they're never okay. It's like, oh, Moses <laughs> That's kid. That's where it comes from. <laughs> oh, Moses kid, he didn't have to take the sign of the covenant. <laughs> Thank goodness for Sephora. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the next question then is another pretty interesting line. And I think I could set up again. This is something that like I, it's very important to notice 
notice the actual text, and then just think about the questions that you have. Uh, but it's this idea of Pharaoh. Uh, the Lord told Moses, actually right before the bridegroom blood situation in verse 21, the Lord told Moses, when you arrive back in Egypt, go to Pharaoh and perform all the miracles I have empowered you to do, but I will harden his heart so that he will refuse to let the people go. It's very easy to think about the Prince of Egypt story and be like, this is Moses versus Pharaoh. It, that's kind of not true. Um, there is some element of God being involved in this struggle. And just based off of what the text actually says, there is some element of God working in Pharaoh's heart uh, in a way that we're not used to thinking about God working. Right. And I think the reason why people kind of struggle with this particular line that occurs in the in Exodus not just this time, but many times that uh, the Lord <laughs> hardens Pharaoh's heart. Is that like, is, does the Lord still do that today? Like, is he hardening people's hearts? And I think that's kind of, that's kind of where I get tripped up. I'm like, oh man, like the people, like are people's hearts hardened by God? I don't know. But what I do think is that like the Pharaoh wasn't this guy that was like righteous or like doing all the right things. And God was like, nope, going to harden your heart. Like he wasn't repentant in any way. We know that from history of Pharaohs and what the gods they served. Um, <laughs> sorry. This could, this could be a scenario where um, I think it's Psalms 37 says about like uh, the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. Uh, I mean, it, I, I'm probably taking that really terribly out of context. So maybe I feel bad about that. But it is like if your if your heart is in the right place, the Lord has a way of getting you to a place where you're actually doing what you desire, not because it's like a vending machine, but because your heart actually begins to desire things of the Lord. I think the opposite is true. If you start to go places where your heart does not desire the Lord, you open yourself up to do things that are not of the Lord. Yeah. So it's possible that here we have Pharaoh who already does not care about God or the um, Israelites or the Israelites. And there is, there definitely is like a, like a, a tension there uh, where he does hate the Israelites and he is actively punishing the Israelites. So I'm sure there is some religious piece to that. Mm -hmm. um, and it's possible that God was like, Hey, like you hate my people. I'm going to harden your heart even more. Yeah. I, the other thing to ask again is taking a step back and saying about this particular book of the Bible, who is God? If this is all about God's glory, he is for sure going to receive glory. Pharaoh's heart is hardened, which leads to these plagues that are unlike anything that the Egyptians have ever experienced. And then the amazing escape from slavery that Israelites like hearken back to back then, even the nation of Israel now. It's like this, it's this big thing that happened. It's their liberation. Um, so, I mean, God's going to receive the glory no matter what. But because of Pharaoh's hardened heart, it was like this miraculous thing that happened. So we see again, like God's so in control. Like I know in, in Job, we talked about like God tells the ostriches where to lay their eggs. He tells the eagles yeah. where to land. God told Pharaoh's heart what to do and what to feel. Right. So and, yeah, and you have this incredible sovereign God, which I don't think is in question at all. I think God is sovereign over all things. Right. The The really tricky questions become... What is that actually like? How does that work out? Like, yeah. and I, I was reading something about this the other day of just this is in the, in Exodus. This is going. The Lord is going to be a God who is known by the people of Israel, and this is just the beginning. The people of Israel now know throughout these plagues that we're going to get into in the future here, like who this God is. This God is, like you said, in control over everything, including 
Man. One of my absolute favorite things about this entire book is it, um, it's another thing we easily miss. It is, it, God is not actually just known by the Israelites. He becomes known by the Egyptians. Ah, yes. And we'll see at the end of this book where uh, like an unnamed number of Egyptians are going to leave Egypt and begin to right. worship with the Hebrews. Now there's, right. there's a lot of theories on that that we'll talk about later. Uh, so <laughs> stay <wait>. tuned. But <laughs> there is a significant portion of Egyptians who get to know God's glory as well. Yeah. Cool. Guys, tomorrow we're getting into the plagues. Um, Chances. I'm a little excited. I don't like calling plagues. TBD. What? (laughs) Okay, we'll talk about this tomorrow. See you tomorrow. (laughs) Can't wait. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye. Bye. Exodus 4, beginning in verse 18. So Moses went back home to Jethro, his father-in-law. Please let me return to my relatives in Egypt, Moses said. I don't even know if they are still alive. Go in peace, Jethro replied. Before Moses left Midian, the Lord said to him, Return to Egypt, for all those who wanted to kill you have died. So Moses took his wife and sons and put them on a donkey and headed back to the land of Egypt. In his hand he carried the staff of God. And the Lord said to Moses, When you arrive back in Egypt, go to Pharaoh and perform all the miracles I have empowered you to do. But I will harden his heart, so he will refuse to let his people go. Then you will tell him, This is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. I commanded you, let my son go so he can worship me. But since you have refused, I will now kill your firstborn son. On the way to Egypt, at a place where Moses and his family had stopped for the night, the Lord confronted him and was about to kill him. But Moses' wife, Zipporah, took a flint knife and circumcised her son. She touched his feet with the foreskin and said, Now you are a bridegroom of blood to me. When she said a bridegroom of blood, she was referring to the circumcision. After that, the Lord left him alone. Now the Lord had said to Aaron, Go out into the wilderness and meet Moses. So Aaron went and met Moses at the mountain of God, and he embraced him. Moses then told Aaron everything the Lord had commanded him to say, and he told him about the miraculous signs the Lord had commanded him to perform. Then Moses and Aaron left and returned to Egypt and called all the elders of Israel together. Aaron told them everything the Lord had told Moses, and Moses performed the miraculous signs as they watched. Then the people of Israel were convinced that the Lord had sent Moses and Aaron. When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. After this presentation to Israel's leaders, Moses and Aaron went and spoke to Pharaoh. They told him, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Let my people go so they may hold a festival in my honor in the wilderness. Is that so? retorted Pharaoh. And who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. But Aaron and Moses persisted. The God of the Hebrews has met with us, they declared. So let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness where we can offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. If we don't, he will kill us with a plague or with a sword. Pharaoh replied, Moses and Aaron, why are you distracting the people from their tasks? Get back to work. Look, there are many of your people in the land, and you are stopping them from their work. That same day, Pharaoh sent this order to the Egyptian slave drivers and the Israelite foremen. Do not supply any more straw for making bricks. Make the people get it themselves, but still require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's why they're crying out, let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Load them down with more work. Make them sweat. That will teach them to listen to lies. So the slave drivers and foremen went out and told the people, This is what Pharaoh says. I will not provide any more straw for you. Go and get it yourselves. Find it wherever you can. But you must produce just as many bricks as before. So the people scattered throughout the land of Egypt in search of stubble to use as straw. 
Meanwhile, the Egyptian slave drivers continued to push hard. Meet your daily quota of bricks, just as you did when we were providing you with straw, they demanded. Then they whipped the Israelite foreman as they had put in charge of the work crews. Why haven't you met your quotas either yesterday or today, they demanded. So the Israelite foreman went to Pharaoh and pleaded with him, Please don't treat your servants like this, they begged. We are given no straw. But the slave drivers still demand, Make bricks. We are being beaten, but it isn't our fault. Your own people are to blame. But Pharaoh shouted, You're just lazy, lazy. That's why you're saying, Let us go and make sacrifices to the Lord. Now get back to work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still produce the full quota of bricks. The Israelite foreman could see that they were in serious trouble when they were told, You must not reduce the number of bricks you make each day. As they left Pharaoh's court, they confronted Moses and Aaron, who were waiting outside for them. The foreman said to them, May the Lord judge and punish you for making a stink before Pharaoh and his officials. You have put a sword into, into their hands, an excuse to kill us. Then Moses went back to the Lord and protested, Why have you brought all this trouble on your own people, Lord? Why did you send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh as your spokesman, he has been even more brutal to your people, and you have done nothing to rescue them. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. When he feels the force of my strong hand, he will let the people go. In fact, he will force them to leave his land. And God said to Moses, I am Yahweh, the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty, but I did not reveal my name, Yahweh, to them. And I reaffirmed my covenant with them. Under its terms, I promised to give them the land of Canaan, where they were living as foreigners. You can be sure that I have heard the groans of the people of Israel who are now slaves to the Egyptians. I am well aware of my covenant with them. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. So Moses told the people of Israel what the Lord had said, but they refused to listen anymore. They had become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go back to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and tell him to let the people of Israel leave his country. But Lord Moses objected, My own people won't listen to me anymore. How can I expect Pharaoh to listen? I'm such a clumsy speaker. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, and gave them orders to the Israelites and for the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord commanded Moses and Aaron to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. These are the ancestors of some of the clans of Israel. The sons of Reuben, Israel's oldest son, were Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. Their descendants became the clans of Reuben. The sons of Simeon were Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shal. Shal's mother was a Canaanite woman. Their descendants became the clans of Simeon. These are the descendants of Levi, as listed in their family records. The sons of Levi were Gershon, Koath, and Merari. Levi lived to be 137 years old. The descendants of Gershon included Libni, Shimei, each of whom became the ancestor of a clan. The descendants of Koath included Amram, Izar, Hebron, and Uziel. Koath lived to be 133 years old. The descendants of Merari included Mahali and Mushi. These are the clans of the Levites as listed in their family records. Amram married his father's sister, Jochebed, and she gave birth to his sons, Aaron and Moses. Amram lived to be 137 years old. The sons of Izar were Korah, Nephig, and Nikri. The sons of Israel were Mishael, Elzaphan, and Zithri. Aaron married Elisheba, the daughter of Amminadab and sister of Nashan, and she gave birth to his sons, Nadab, Ibihu, Eleazar, and Ithmar. 
the sons of Korah were Isir, Elkanah, Ebisaph, and their descendants became the clans of Korah. Eleazar, son of Aaron, married one of the daughters of Pudiel, and she gave birth to his sons, Phinehas. These are the ancestors of the Levite families listed according to their clans. The Aaron and Moses named in this list are the same ones to whom the Lord said, Lead the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt like an army. It was Moses and Aaron who spoke to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, about leading the people of Israel out of Egypt. When the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, he said to them, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, everything I am telling you. But Moses argued with the Lord, saying, I can't do it. I'm such a clumsy speaker. Why should Pharaoh listen to me? Then the Lord said to Moses, Pay close attention to this. I will make you seem like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. Tell Aaron everything I command you, and Aaron must command Pharaoh to let the people of Israel leave his country. But I will make Pharaoh's heart stubborn, so I can multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Even then, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you, so I will bring down my fist on Egypt. Then I will rescue my forces, my people, the Israelites, from the land of Egypt with great acts of judgment. When I raise my powerful hand and bring out the Israelites, the Egyptians will know that I I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded them. Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron was 83 when they made their demands to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Pharaoh will demand, show me a miracle. And when he does this, say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down in front of Pharaoh, and it will become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did what the Lord had commanded them. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his officials and became a serpent. Then Pharaoh called in his own wise men and sorcerers, and these Egyptian magicians did the same thing with their magic. They threw down their staffs, which also became serpents. But then Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Pharaoh's heart, however, remained hard. He still refused to listen, just as the Lord had predicted.